Praise God. Amen. To finish the day in the house of the Lord where there is peace and strength and comfort and encouragement. Amen. God knows to bring to us exactly what we need. So it's good to see every, every one as we stand together and open the scripture to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13. I want to speak to you for a few moments here tonight on the axioms of holiness, the axioms of holiness or or what you could say the laws or the principles of holiness. And 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13 gives us a good launching point here tonight. Amen. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts, in your ignorance. Are you thankful that God has done a new thing in your life? The former things, the former lusts that were in ignorance are passed away, but in the house of God tonight, God has made all things new. And verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, this is referencing an old passage Old Testament passage, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. God has called us to be a people who are a holy people. And so for a few moments um, tonight, I'm going to try to take my time and I'm not going to try to launch too high emotionally. I'm going to try to ride a little more intellectually and biblically here tonight. And that is a tall task and order. So when we pray, I want you to pray that God would help me to that task and endeavor. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for the calming assurance and presence, my, that we feel in the house of God tonight. From the moment I stepped into the building, I'm thankful for your touch and your anointing because there is nothing that compares to that. And I honor you and give to you thanks, and I thank you for your word because it stabilizes, strengthens us, and gives us direction. Praise God. And so we ask all these things in your great name. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. And while you're being seated, let's give all of our children a hand clap of appreciation for singing. Amen. Praise God. We are working on that, and uh, we might have come across some things tonight that would really make that uh, a little better, and so I appreciate everybody that's involved in that, and and our children do look forward to singing, and so when you cancel that out or or miss that, <coughs> they're not too happy, and pre appreciate all of our children, and I think it is probably good to say it again. Six of our Bethel Apostolic Academy students received the baptism of the Holy Ghost last week in chapel. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. And the other morning, there was a young lady that's been coming to children's Bible study that was baptized. Sister Denise's niece was baptized in Jesus' name as well. So God is doing great things among our children, and we're thankful for that. Holiness is twofold. Everyone say twofold. Twofold. It is separation, and that means separation from sin and the world's values. So it is separation and it is also dedication to God and his will. 
If you're writing down anything or jotting anything down here tonight, you should jot that down. Separation is a separation from sin and the world's values. We don't follow the world's values and we don't follow the carnal nature that sin and where sin will lead us. So there is a separation. God calls us to separate from some things in the culture that is around us. But it's also dedication to God and his will. It is twofold. It is a separation from and it's a dedication to. And these are conjoined together. They are not to be separated. If you separate them, then separation becomes uh, shallow. And, and then if you separate it on the other side, dedication becomes something that, that has no identity. And so when you bring them together, they form a relationship. So separation and dedication. Amen. Everyone say separation. Separation and dedication. Everyone say dedication. It's a separation and it is a dedication. And we get a great example of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 16. Verses 16 through 18, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he asks a couple of questions and he starts it off by saying this. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God dedication. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In other words, there is a dedication. The temple has connotations to dedication, just like our body, the temple should be dedicated to God. In that Old Testament understanding, when they dedicated the temple, there was such a cloud of God's presence and anointing, they couldn't even get into the temple because of God's anointing. And so that Old Testament pattern is something that takes place in the New Testament where our bodies become something that is dedicated to God. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to dedicate my body to the world. Praise God. I don't want to dedicate my body to the carnal nature. I want to dedicate my body to the work of God and the kingdom of God and to his holiness. So it is a dedication. And then he says in verse number 17, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. Therein lies those two very, very key elements to living a holy and a godly life, and that is that there is separation and that there is dedication. Everyone say, there is separation and there is a dedication, and they are connected. A very, very key passage that must be kept in mind with this twofold understanding of holiness is many times it's misinterpreted, is found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 14. And you can hear this sometimes in preaching, and it's preaching in just one of the elements of what holiness is. Usually it's regarding separation, not so much dedication, but they are connected. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. It's talking about a life that is lived in separation to God and dedication to God. You can be a separate person 
and but not very dedicated. And if you're too dedicated and no separation, there is no identity. So there is a relationship that comes together, and there is a balance in that. What we do in terms of our separation is counterbalanced by our dedication to the things of God. I want to say very clear here tonight, I live for God not because I'm coerced to, not because I'm forced to, not because I have to. I live to live for God because I love to. If it's not a love thing, then what are you doing? You are going through the motions and you're living out your life and your walk with God under duress. You should not be under duress. You should be walking in liberty. Nobody nobody caused you to get here. Nobody made you come here. You came here. You are who you are because God has done great things in your life and great things in your family life. And we sang it tonight. You've got a testimony of where God brought you. And so let's testify about God's goodness. That dedication sets me up to say, I don't want the world. I don't want to be tainted by the world. I don't want to be connected to the world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. Amen. I want to pursue a godly life. And pursue is a very key word because in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 14, in the King James Version, it translates that word as follow. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And so there's some other translations, and notice how the other translations translate it a little differently. The New Living Translation says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So in that particular translation, they said it's a thing that is a, a work. It's a, it's a motion. It's at work in you. In the NRSV, in chapter 12, verse 14 of Hebrews, it says, Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it is a pursuit. One, and they're, they're nuances. They all come from the same, same word. And so some translations are trying to pick at which is the closest. Is it follow? Is it work at? Is it pursue? In the ESV, it is strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So there are interesting nuances to this word follow in this passage of Scripture. Follow, work at, strive. They all come from a word that means pursue. And it's very interesting that it is the same word where Paul said, I press toward the mark. It's the same word. And so it could be press, press toward holiness, press. It doesn't happen naturally. It's going to take some work to be a godly person. Did you know something? You don't have to do a whole lot to be a carnal person. Carnality just happens on its own. But to be a spiritual person, you have to step forth and say, I'm going to deny my own flesh and the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the world. And I'm going to be a godly person because if I don't do anything, I'll just become by natural gravitation, become a carnal individual. It takes work. You've got to pursue. You've got to work at. You have to follow. You have to strive. Is there anybody in the house of God tonight? You're here tonight because you want to be right with God and you want to put godliness to work. You're pursuing something. Praise God. And it is a pursuing of something 
That is valuable, valuable, valuable. Stay in teach mode here. Don't get too ratcheted up here, Brother Bradford. When you're pursuing the things of God, you are pursuing things in your life that brings value to you. I'm not sure if all of us completely understand how good it is to lay your head on a pillow at night and know the peace of God is with you. I want to pursue that. I pursue that when I wake up and start my day. I want to pursue the encouragement and the comfort of God. God brings all of those things to us when we follow after that, when we work at that, when we pursue that, and as Paul said, when we press toward that. This word means the same thing. And there's different nuances. And so here are the axioms that I want to give you regarding holiness, which is twofold. It is a separation and it is a dedication it is twofold and there's some axioms that help us understand how to pursue that or work at that or strive for that okay and here they are holiness is a spirit thing it is not a means of salvation but it is a result of salvation praise god i we don't, we don't separate ourselves from the world to save ourselves. We separate ourselves because that is the result of salvation. There's only one that can save us, and it's God. Praise God. When you, listen, some of you, when you came to God, when you came to God, you weren't very separated. You were still entangled with the affairs of this world. Amen. Somebody hear what I'm saying? When you came to God, you were entangled with a lot of things. And guess who plucked you out of that miry clay and said, okay, it's time for a new residence, a new place of opportunity. I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you out of that dysfunction and all of that pain and anguish, and I'm going to change things. Only, only God can do that. Only God can do that. Praise God. And because of that, because of what God does, then I want to make sure as a result of that salvation that I am devoted to him. And that is a spiritual thing. It is not a salvation thing. It is a result of salvation. So this is the first axiom of holiness. Praise God that it is a spiritual thing. It is not a means of salvation, but it is a result of salvation. This is what, what James was saying when he said faith without works is dead. You have to start with faith. And what it produces is works in you. It doesn't go the other way. You can't start with works and hopes that somehow that's going to create faith. You've got to have faith in God. And because of your faith in God, it produces something in you. Praise God. And this is the same way with this axiom. It is a spiritual thing. It is not a means, but it is a result of salvation. Praise God. You know why I'm so very thankful? I'm thankful because of what God has richly done in my life. I know that I shouldn't be here and neither should any of us, but we're grateful because we are. Thanks be to God for his mercy upon us. Praise God. That is a result of salvation. You know why I worship the way I worship? I worship the way I worship because I'm very grateful for what God has done in my life. Praise God. And so it comes out in my action. This is why I leap for joy. This is why sometimes I clap my hands, raise my hands, run, shout out unto the Lord, sing a new song because God has done great things and it's a result of the salvation. 
praise God. And that spiritual thing, that spiritual thing is what connects to people that come into the house of God because they see all of you worshiping and giving thanks and they want to know, why are you so thankful? What do you have that is so valuable that I don't have? This is why a move of God, every service that we come to is a must. It is a must. There are no throwaway services. There are no services that are meaningless and don't matter. Every single service matters. Praise God. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Here's the second axiom. If we truly love God, we will obey his commandments. When we love God, we hate evil. Paul said, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. If I am in a proper relationship with God, if I truly am devoted to God, I'm going to obey his commandments. I'm going to love God, hate evil. Psalm 97 and verse number 10, you that love the Lord, hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of of the wicked. Amen. That is a, that I think I preached a message one time just on that one little small verse that Paul said, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. That's a huge answer right there. When, when I'm, when I'm working away from things that I know are not good, then I'm cleaving to and getting closer to the things that are right. But if I get it confused and think somehow I'm going to get close to the things that are right by messing around with stuff that is not good, I'm going to live an existence that is not going to be successful in living for God. You got to lean into the things of God and push away some of the things of the world and say, I already tried that, did that. It was a mistake and a failure. I'm pressing into the things of God. Amen. You know what happens when you do that? You find out that God reveals himself to you in ways you didn't even know about because you can never get to the bottom of how great and how awesome God is. You will not, listen to me, this is very important, you will not be able to live a lifetime and fully explore the depths of what God is and how great he is. This is a mystery that we should be striving for every single day of our lives. God, today, I want you to reveal to me something that I have not seen before. I can't get jaded because God is too deep. Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out you can't get to the bottom of how great God is for you you can't get to the bottom of how God is merciful to you and how he is faithful to you you cannot fathom all the things to know about God praise God you need to wake up in the morning tomorrow morning and say God I want you to show me something I haven't seen before and you know what's going to happen God God's going to reveal himself to you. Praise God. It may be in a verse, a passage that you've read that you've crossed over and you didn't see before. Maybe something in an action that somebody has done. When we press into his commandments and we love him, there is a depth to that. Here's another axiom. The Holy Ghost gives us power to overcome and sin no longer has dominion. It doesn't mean that sin won't be around to tempt us. This is what is broken at baptism. Praise God. When you are baptized in Jesus' name, 
there is a breaking of the domination of sin that goes all the way back to Adam. And it's his name that removes that bondage from you. That's why it's so very, very important. That blood applied to your life is what breaks every chain. That is still efficacious and powerful. The blood, ladies and gentlemen, still works. It still works. Hallelujah. It, it cleanses to the uttermost. Amen. And so that power or ability that God gives to us in his spirit gives to us the ability to overcome so that sin no longer has domination over me. I need the Holy Ghost in my life to make me more than a conqueror. I can't fly without the wings of the Spirit. God gives to us the wings of the Spirit so that we can fly. John the Revelator said he saw a red dragon, and the dragon was there to devour the man-child that was coming from the woman. And God gave, uh, he gave the the offspring wings to fly and escape the dragon. What was he saying? He was saying the Holy Ghost elevates you and gives you the ability to fly up above the temptation of sin. You know, I need, I need the Holy Ghost every day and a renewing of the Holy Ghost and why it should operate in my life every day because that is the power that gives me the ability to say, today I'm going to live for God. No matter what comes my way, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the problem is always not going. It's not going to be with God. It might be with me, but it can never be with God because what God gives you is enough. His spirit in your life is enough. It's not lacking on that side of the equation. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you got everything that you need to be an overcomer. Praise God. Amen. So if I'm struggling and I'm having difficulties, then the problem is somewhere else. It is not with God. Now, Here's another one. Holiness is not an external law, but an integral part of our new identity. It is written in our hearts. So, so this is very, very important. Holiness starts in my heart. It's not an external law. The Old Testament, you had external laws. The Old Testament was really good at telling you about the external laws. Matter of fact, Paul said the law was a schoolmaster because it would tell us at every turn where we were wrong and how we were wrong but it didn't give to us the power to overcome and be right and so the holy ghost in our life is not an external law it's an inter in 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 the prophets god said there's going to come a day that i'm going to write my law not externally not on tables of stone I'm going to write it into the tables of your heart. In other words, you're going to live for me, not because there's a long list of things that are external that you should or shouldn't do, because that's, that's, there's no power in that. It's only going to reveal how wrong and bad you are. But I'm going to put my spirit in you, and my spirit in you is going to let you live out the life without ever having to even know what the laws are. This is what Paul was saying about the Gentiles. The Gentiles who don't know the law, who have the Holy Ghost, are fulfilling the law because of the Holy Ghost in them. Praise God. Because of God's Spirit in them, they understand and recognize being close to God keeps me from some things that he doesn't have to write a whole list of do-nots because there's some things that I can do 
do in the Holy Ghost, in the Spirit. It's not an external law. It is an integral part of a new identity that is written on our hearts. And one more here. Pursuing holiness requires personal effort. I've already mentioned it in passing. It is not automatic. This is exactly what I believe Paul was saying when he is writing to the Philippians in chapter 2 and verse number 12. And he says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. That does not mean that you create your own gospel and save yourself your own way because there's only one eternal gospel. And the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we identify with repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's the eternal gospel. So what Paul was saying was not create something entirely new. Paul was saying you are going to have to, a personal responsibility that takes place when you decide whether or not you're going to live for God and be holy and be righteous and be godly. It's going to be something that you have to pursue. It's going to take a personal effort. It is not something that happens automatic. I wish it did. I wish somehow God just opened the top of my head and imputed into me righteousness. But that kind of righteousness has been so, so used and abused by a religious world that somehow God makes me and imputes me righteous and I'm just righteous, but I don't have to change anything and don't have to do anything. Listen, when God calls you, he's going to call you to some personal responsibility to say, I'm going to step up and make some changes in my life and I'm going to work on that effort. I'm going to press toward that. I'm going to pursue that. It's not going to happen naturally, but I'm going to be at it every single day. I'm going to work. I'm not going to try to get from here way down there in one or two days or months or even a year, but I'm going to pursue that one step at a time and every single day God's going to bring victories in my life on a daily basis. Praise God. I may not get to where everybody is overnight, but I'm making my way there. You keep coming to church. You keep believing in God. You keep putting your faith in God. God keeps molding you and fashioning you. And sometimes there's some things that take a while and God's forming some things in your life. You just keep moving toward that, pressing toward that because God knows what he's doing and he's wanting to see if you're willing to press into it. To press into it. Amen. These are axioms. These are, these are principles or laws of holiness that, that we have to understand and define before we can live them out. We must not love this ungodly worldly system. And get more and more disillusioned with it every single day. This is why the kingdom of God is so much greater than the kingdoms of this world. Amen. I don't want to identify with it. I'm in it, but I, I don't want to be defined by it. I don't want to be, become attached to the things in it or participate in its sinful pleasures, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I want my growth to be toward perfection. And perfection is not something that's absolute, but it's relative. Every, every single day, every, every moment of our life is a, is a growth and a movement toward 
being complete. Whenever you see the word perfection, everyone say perfection. Be perfect in Christ. What, what, is that, what does that mean? If we're not careful, <clears throat> we'll attach some status to that, and, and none of us will feel like we could ever measure up to that because we're not perfect, and all of us know that. But that's not what it's, it's saying. It's not talking about a status. The perfection that it's talking about is a completeness. I want to be complete. Our world is there's full of people that are incomplete. I really feel like people come to the house of God because they're they're lacking that and they want to feel completed in life. And so perfection and moving toward perfection is wanting to be complete in Jesus Christ. And that takes action. I mentioned Sunday morning and this this kind of is a corollary to Sunday morning about godliness in action. And I mentioned this particular article, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back over it again and maybe take just a little more time to talk about it because I, I thought it was very, very good in discussion like we're having tonight, but also just in life. But the thing that really stunned me is at the, the very end of it, and that's, that's what I want to get to to kind of hang my thought on here. But the article was how to live intentionally, how to live intentionally. And the quickest way to the life you want is to live intentionally. And the first thing that the author notes is that living intentionally is a direction. It is not a destination. None of us arrive, none of us arrive at where at the destination. We'll never get there until this mortal puts on immortality. So my life is a direction. Being in the house of God here tonight is a direction. You're here. Why? Because it speaks of the direction that you want to go. And, and Matthew kind of notes this in talking about action in, in a particular direction and holiness and being godly. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1, he said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. In two cases, he's talking about a formulation of discipleship and godliness that you should be careful that your direction is moving toward God and that everything that you see is through the lens of God. He has forgiven you so, so much that you in return should forgive others based on that reflection. That is a direction. And then at the end, he was talking about don't, Take the things of God that, that are treasures and discard them or neglect them because that's a particular direction. But value them. Why we fail to live intentionally, there's two hurdles. The first hurdle is we risk floundering in a sea of possibilities. There's too many ideas about the kind of person that we want to become or what we want to get started and we want to do this stuff, and then sometimes we're driven by fear that we're somehow missing out on something better, and so that becomes a hurdle. There's too many possibilities. The second hurdle 
is sustainability. So not only is it too many possibilities, but sustainability because we demand too much change too soon and we take on way more than we can handle. And so we add all these habits and these routines to our lives and the whole system falls apart at the first sign of stress because we've got too many things going. And these are the two hurdles that get in the way of living an intentional life. And so the author says the way that you solve that is you solve it by subtraction. You solve it by subtraction. That the blessed place to start is by looking at what can be removed rather than what you can add. And this idea of removing or subtracting to bring about improvement, it works in many areas of life. It's like pruning a bush or a tree to make it stronger, to encourage new growth. So being intentional is not about what you say yes to. Everyone say yes. <laughs> it's not about what you say yes to. It's about what you say no to. Living intentional and, and being intentional is about what you say no to, not necessarily what you say yes. It's not about what you start doing. It's about what you stop doing. You clear away the dead wood, you prune the weak branches, and growth takes care of itself. And until you've taken care of the low-hanging fruit, then that should not be your focus because it's low-hanging fruit. Does anybody, I've been here before, okay? I'm not speaking to you out of something that's no experience. Have you ever been spread so thin that you don't do a good job at any one thing? Yeah, intentional is a direction. It's a direction. It's not a destination. So the author says remove some of those things. What is currently eating up your time but not adding value in terms of true rest, enjoyment, or meaning? These are the things that you need to subtract from your life. And one of the things he notes is you also have to say good to, you have to say no to good opportunities. Because it's not that opportunities won't come. There's no shortage of good and interesting opportunities. The reason most people don't live intentionally is rarely that they sit around and do nothing all day, but more typically they're pulled in in a hundred different directions and really never focus their efforts. So don't get distracted by the next shiny thing that comes along. Remove some of those things and focus on what truly is important to you. This is a direction. Living for God and holiness is a direction. I will tell you this right now. This is an article, and I'm, I'm connecting it to spiritual things. But I'll tell you this right now. You're going to have to prune some things from your life to be holy, especially in a social media world that we live in. There are some things that you're going to have to say, I'm going to put that aside because my focus right now is I want to be a godly individual. If not, you're going to cloud up your world with so many distractions. You won't read your Bible. You won't get into your daily devotion. You'll be flying through life, and at some point you may just stop and ask yourself, what am I doing? Because it feels like I'm going around and around in a vicious cycle. What has happened is your life is too full of distractions. You need to recognize there's some things I need to subtract from my life because I've let the world come in too much and take up too much of my time. And I refuse to allow that to happen because my walk with God is more important than anything else. Amen. 
And, and we've, we've got to just be flat out honest here. The phones are not going away. Social media and every technology is not going away. It's not disappearing anytime soon. That means as an apostolic, you've got to get enough uh, intestinal fortitude and spiritual formation to say, I'm putting that aside because ultimately my first priority are the things of God. Praise God. And so I'm, I may have to prune some things and, 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 and subtract some things so that God has the ability to speak to me. You can get so distracted and your day is so full of stuff that if God wanted to speak to you, he couldn't break in to speak to you. There's got to be some moments of solitude and silence to where God can come in and speak to you. I feel that that just resonated right there because it's the truth. We, 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 are, we can get so distracted by everything and there's so much pulling on us. If we're not careful, Jesus, even in his own ministry, took time out to go be alone and to reflect on what God was doing in his life. And the same thing should be case, the case with us. All right, so at the end of the article, this, this is where I got because I, I always thought, you know, it's very, very important as, as personal development that you should be reading uh, you know, every night before you go to bed, you read some kind of book that's really good. Uh, and you should be striving to learn about leadership and things, motivational, all this kind of stuff. And I got to this last part of this article, and it said, stop reading self-help books. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I, I thought that would be one of the ways that you became intentional because you would, you would read this stuff and you would gain this stuff, and that would grow and develop you. And the author is saying... That can be a great source of initial inspiration. Could be great advice for making positive changes. But he said at some point you got to start reading and you got to start doing. You have to put it into action. And he said, what I've noticed is this. Some people will read all the self-help books because it makes them feel in control, but they never put it into action. And they just keep reading more and more books because now their knowledge is expanding, but their actual lifestyle is not changing at all. And you know what? I've even come across some of those people because they know all the things that you should be doing. But I don't see too much evidence that they're doing either. And so this author is saying, put down the, the, the self-help books and once you, once you are making a move in the right direction, then you cut back on your reading and you start doing. Praise God. And what we've read in these axioms is holiness requires a whole lot of doing. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 12, we read our first verse about following holiness. And here is the verse. The word is the same. Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may have apprehend, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press, same word as follow, I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, 
Let us therefore as many be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. What is the same rule of the same thing? I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I am I'm activating holiness in my life, and it is an action. Praise God. I want to tell you in the house of God here tonight that I appreciate. I appreciate individuals that understand, first of all, how we've defined holiness here, understand the axioms that we've mentioned about holiness, and you have put those things into action. Did you know a church is only going to be as strong as the people in the church put the holiness into action? Praise God. Nobody's interested in holiness, they don't put it into action? Not going to be much of a church. But a church that is powerful is where there is unity and people say, we recognize the value of the kingdom of God. We are in this thing together and we're going to be a people who is holy and devoted unto God. And God is going to do great things of revival. Praise God. Revival. Revival. And that matters. That matters. There's three teachers of holiness. Three teachers of holiness. Now, I need to say something here. Uh, <clears throat> we, we used to have service at 7 o'clock, and we got out at 8.30. Is that right? Typically, somewhere around there. Yes? 7 to, 7 to 8.30. We'd be getting out at 8.30. And then we added a half hour of prayer, which is a good thing. And now service starts at 7.30, so when should service get out? At 9, thank you. So it should be somewhere around 9, not 8.30. So we have sped up the service so much that the praise and worship singers feel like we're rushing, and whoever's speaking up here is rushing. And I promise you I will not be as long as last Tuesday night, although that was a great message. It was a powerful message, and it was an inspiring message. Uh, I won't be quite that long, but, but we should think that service probably going to start coming to a conclusion at what time? Eight forty-five, eight fifty. Yes. Okay. So it's eight forty. So I get ten minutes. Or if the Holy Ghost is having its way, then there there's no time, you know, no time frame. But. So there are, there are some teachers of holiness. The Bible is, I mean, obviously a lot of our holiness, devotion to God. See, this is another thing, too, that, that, that's really, when uh, parents, when you, when you teach this to your children, you not only teach it by what you say, but what you do, right? That is extremely powerful. <laughs> a lot of times they'll catch what you're doing, not what you're saying. Um. When, when you talk to them about holiness, don't, don't just reflect upon what we don't do. Because if holiness is connected to devotion, there's also things we do. I almost made a huge mistake. I was writing my notes, and I said, we need to think about things that we don't do. And I actually put it in my notes, but we we need to think about some things that we do do. And then I said, wait a minute, that's, that's not really. 
That's, that's not good. <laughs> Holiest are things, there's separation means there's some things that we don't do, but our devotion to God means that we do some things. And if you're not careful, you'll only point out holiness as a negative thing and not a positive thing. And I want to tell you here tonight that holiness is not a negative thing, but it's a positive thing because it puts us in a right place with God. And it is a, it's, a, it's a protective place. It's a refuge. Amen. And there needs to be some boundaries. So the Bible helps us. The Spirit helps us. Pastoral ministry helps us. So there's Bible. The Bible helps us with standards. And then there's some personal convictions. You may have a personal conviction. And if it's your personal conviction, and that's something that you felt God has directed you to, then you follow your personal conviction. Now, if it's a personal conviction, and it's not necessarily a Bible conviction, then don't take your personal conviction and try to make everybody else follow your Bible conviction. You see that? That's very, very important. Now, some people that played in the bars and the dives and they played drums, and they won't play drums again. They're just not going to play drums. Why? Because it's connected to something that was a part of my life. I don't want anything to do with it again, so I'm not going to do that. That's great. That's his personal conviction. I respect that. But now I would have a problem if you're saying we don't need this or we don't need that because of all the experiences that, that he personally had in his life that's different than everybody else, and there's no really Bible angle on that, right? So that's the difference between what a Bible standard is and then what a personal conviction is. There's a difference there. There is an explicit standard in some passages of Scripture, and then you have to take some things and you have to practically apply them for culture, time, and place. And sometimes culture, time, and place changes. Right? And so... So here we are in the world, and we've got some values and principles in the Scripture, and, and we have to make sure that we align ourselves with the Scripture, and that may change sometimes over time. This has to do with our heart, our attitudes, our thoughts. It extends its way to the, our way of life, our behavior, our appearance, our speech. Our attitudes means we should bear forth the fruit of the Spirit, not hatred, not malice, not wrath, not envy, not jealousy, not bitterness. Those are attitudes that we, we've got to manage. Our thoughts, what we think on, is what we become. And so I need to make sure my thoughts are controlled. My tongue, my speech, and my conversation, and what I say, these are all matters of holiness. And some things I don't say, and there's some things I do say. I have the ability to lift up. And I have the ability to tear down. So whatever's going to tear down, I'm going to remove that, subtract that, because I don't like that direction. I want to be intentional about building people up and encouraging people. That's intentional. That's a direction. And that's a direction we should all should be going. Not only our attitudes, our thoughts, our tongue, but the eye. What, what's my primary source for input into my mind and media? One of, one of the decisions that was made a long, long time ago that it would not be a good idea to have a television was the right decision that was made because of this intentional direction. Now we live in a world that is so convoluted, I don't know what is what anymore, but I do know this, you need to be intentional about making sure that all that stuff doesn't creep in and end up cluttering up your life. You need to make sure what's going into your eye, that it is godly and wholesome so that you don't get bifurcated in your 
your attention and your time. Praise God. Because God wants your time and he wants your efforts and he wants your ability. The eye. Stewardship. Stewardship. This is all holiness. This is all in a direction. Should be intentional. Should be something we put into action. Stewardship of the body. The body is the temple of the spirit. Moderation and things. Appearance. Modesty, distinction, godly, moderate in cost and appearance, avoidance of personal ornamentation. Praise God. God calls us to put some things into action in our life. Let me give you a couple of verses here that are, that are really, really good, and I'll, I'll, I'll end here tonight. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, it's interesting because the distinction, the men lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting, and the women, based on the apparel and what they wear, and, and I, I would say to you today that, that both of those apply equally nowadays Men and women need to lift up their whole hands without wrath and doubting. And men and women need to adorn themselves in the proper attired manner because now there's such confusion between a lot of the distinction and roles of what is masculine and feminine that it applies equally to both men and women. Praise God. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1. Listen to this. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands that... If any obey not the word, they also may be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair or wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, this feels like an archaic passage of Scripture in our current time frame, but it's been really, really misinterpreted. What is meant when Paul is talking about the wife as the weaker vessel? He's not talking about the wife as being somehow not as smart as you, because there's some women that are smarter than men. And he's not talking about somehow that when women are weaker emotionally than you are. He's not talking about any of that. There may be a, a distinction that he's making between what is stronger and what is not as strong because of the makeup in humanity. I think what he's really saying, because he says this, they're both a vessel and both of the vessels, both of the vessels are heirs together of the grace of life. They're not supposed to be in combat with each other. They're supposed to be in unity with each other. And so when he's referring to the weaker vessel, he's talking about the femininity of a biblical gender. There is masculine and there is feminine. And so as Paul's talking about the distinction between the masculine and between the feminine, and they work together as joint heirs in the grace of God. 
And when they work together, his whole point here in this passage of scripture is not one usurping the other in power, intimidation, and authority. That's been foisted on women for centuries. It's not, a, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And it's misinterpreting the scripture. What's going on here is Paul is notifying us that from the very beginning, God made male and female. He made a husband and he made a wife. They are to complement each other. They have different attributes and different distinctions. But ultimately, they work together because they are both vessels and heirs together of the grace of life. The real key that he's trying to get at in this passage of Scripture is the balance between humbleness and submission. That the masculine has to humble himself and that the feminine has to submit herself. <laughs> Woo! That's really good right there. That is fabulous. When you get a balance between men who humble themselves and women who submit themselves, your prayers are not hindered and things are in harmony. But when there's no submission, there's a problem. And when there's no humbleness, there's a problem. And so Paul is saying, if these two things come together, your prayers are not hindered. You live intentionally. You're walking toward God. And that's the real key that he's trying to drive at. And he said, all of this comes together in the idea of devoting yourself to God and separating yourself to God. And that's why he plugs all of these things about what you're wearing and how you dress and your modesty and everything that it's all connected there. Praise God. So there's some examples of standards. There's a hair standard that comes in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And it says very specifically shorn or shaven. So it's talking about being cut. Now in some faith traditions, they'll wear some kind of covering. But the problem sometimes that happens with that is that and they cut their hair. Well, that's missing the point because Paul is saying your hair is your glory. And to me, what the glory means is not somehow that there's magic hair that you spread around and do some of that kind of stuff. It's that you are honoring God from the very beginning on a biblical understanding of, of what gender means. There is power on your head because it instinctively helps people know that there is male and female. Paul's talking about cutting or not cutting. He's talking about long hair and short hair. And so he says in it, shorn or cut. That's a biblical standard. That's, that's where we get the standard about not cutting our hair, or if you're a lady, uh, trimming your hair. And that's why Paul said men should have short hair because it's a distinction, right? Praise God. So, and so that's a biblical standard. The idea of ornamentation that you can take from both of these two passages of Scripture now, now, sometimes there is a, in premarital counseling, we have a discussion about unconscious roles and unwritten rules. Unconscious roles are things that when you end up getting married, sometimes you don't realize it, but you're unconsciously following the role of whatever your parents exemplified to you. And then sometimes there's unwritten rules that you don't even know about until you get married to the other person, and then you find out they break one of your unwritten rules, and you're like, what are you doing? That's crazy. We leave the butter out. We don't put the butter in the refrigerator. What in the world's going on? That's an unwritten rule. And there's all kinds like that. That's never been really discussed until you get married and then you realize 
you do some really weird stuff. And you're breaking all my rules. Well, your rules are not the same rules. And so that's what's fun about marriage because you got to figure it out, baby. It's got, is it going to stay out or is it going to stay in? What's, what's going to happen? Where are we going to put the thermostat? 70, 68 or 78? It's hot in here. It's cold. So unwritten rules. So there are, there are some things in the life of the church that we don't get up here and just say every service. They're un, there's biblical standards, and there's some things that are unwritten rules. Be careful that you don't hit somebody that, that's new and coming to God, that you don't hit them over the head with unwritten rules. They're not going to understand that. Right? Let them grow. And eventually, I notice, you, I notice you guys leave the butter out at your house. That's pretty cool. You know why? Because you can actually cut through it. That's really nice. You take it out of the refrigerator, you can't cut through it. Won't cut through it. Won't spread. Right? You can tell which side I'm on. Leave the butter out. <laughs> Uh, right, these are unwritten rules, right? They can, they can really, it can get really interesting. So there's some unwritten rules sometimes that we don't, we don't just jump out and say all the time. But ornamentation would be like an unwritten rule that's not mentioned often. We don't do ornamentation. With the exception of a watch, which is supposed to be more toward function, not ornamentation. And if you're not careful, you can make a watch something that's ornamentation when it should be function. But it's better to stop it there and know, okay, if that's going to happen, it'd be better to draw some kind of boundary and it'd be there rather than to have it on, on fingers and ears and nose and lips and mouth. So that's just kind of an unwritten rule. We don't do ornamentation because when we raise, there's, there's very, there might be one or two passages that have any kind of positive connection to jewelry as being a positive thing. They took it off, they buried it, they took it off, they melted it down, they took it. So, so we don't do ornamentation, and based on the passage that I've just read here, because that's not, when we lift our hands, we want to lift our hands toward God, and there is no ostentation that comes before us and God. And so that is one of the, the standards. That's a principle. There's a boundary there. There's a line there. And so that might be kind of an unwritten rule. There, there, are, there are rules or boundaries regarding modesty. Modesty. Where, where, where do you draw the line in that? Brother Terry had a great illustration of where he thought you should draw the line. Uh, <laughs> I won't tell you what it is. You can ask Bishop after church if you'd like to know, but it was a pretty good illustration. Who's going to draw a line? He, his point was who's going to draw a line? And so he called his wife to... to uh, help him with the illustration. But his point was, his point was, where do you draw the line? Because if you don't draw the line, then where is it? So if somebody is going to complain about where you draw the line, his point was, well, then where is the line? That's a good point. And so for us, an unwritten rule here in our church, now not everybody does this, but for us, it's just kind of an unwritten rule that the best place to draw a line or manage boundaries in terms of modesty is at your elbows and your knees. It's very clear. So it's a clear line of demarcation. So everything you adorn yourself so as to manage that boundary, right? Because if you don't have a boundary, then you have stuff that inches higher or could lower. 
or tighter or baggier. So modesty is something that includes all of, all of those things. That is intentional living. You have to intentionally think about that, right? I hope when you get up in the morning and you take off, you intentionally think about what you look like. Yeah? And if your wife says, honey, does this make me fat? Be honest. Be honest. Don't let, don't, don't let her go out of the house and she's showing panty lines and everything else. And it's just, it's, don't, don't do that. No, do, she may not like you for a minute, but she'll, she'll appreciate you later. She tells you what to wear all the time. You can't even pick your ties out, your socks out. Why are you laughing, Brother Rob? You know it's true. You know it's true. <laughs> He's over there. Her, her, her. Yeah, that's exactly right. So modesty, are there, there's, again, this is separation and devotion. There's some things that I say no to, and there's some things I say yes to in my life. Um, I say yes to faithfulness. That's devotion. Thank, thank God for everybody that's here in the house of God tonight. Clap your hands for everybody that's in the house of God tonight. If you're here, you're not here. Maybe you, you couldn't get here, and so you're, you're looking in tonight. Uh, faithfulness is, is, is part of holiness. See, and that's, that's where it's, it's kind of frustrating because some people have taken off the things that we do in holiness, and they've made it all about what we don't do. And that's not right. Faithfulness, is that's holiness. I'm living holy and godly life when I'm faithful to God and to the house of God. I can get around that. I want to be holy. Yeah! Instead of, I want to be holy. Ooh. Are they getting ready to really hammer some stuff tonight? What's going on? Right? There are things that you do because of your devotion. Shamefacedness is another one that's mentioned in Scripture. That your conversation should be chaste. And that you should be shamefaced, which means that the ornament should be a meek and a quiet spirit. Now, meekness is not weakness. You know what meekness is? This is really good, this one right here. Meekness is strength under control. That's what meekness is. So when Moses was talked about being a meek man or Jesus was a meek, they, they weren't saying he was a weak man. They were saying he was a powerful man, but he also had control of that power. That's what meekness is. So controlling that power it comes out in the same way of shamefacedness. Shamefaced. We don't put makeup on. Anything that you put on should naturally accent what is already there. Right? So be careful what you put on. If, if you're putting something on your nails, nail hardener, you can do things like that that naturally enhance what is already there. But you go some of these places, yeah, I want the natural thing, and you get, and it's purple, or it's white, or it's, that, that's, that's, not, that's not natural. So those are unwritten rules. So what's on our toes, what's on our fingers, what's on our face, What's in our hair? What's in our hair? You can tell everybody's dyeing their hair. 
I'm not talking about in church. I'm just talking about guys walking by. It's like, wow, that's really orange right there. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, and if some of you would stop dyeing your hair, you'd be more beautiful. It takes a little while to grow out, but once it grows out, you are astonishing. But see, the world likes to play on that vanity. Have you seen all these signs around town? I saw one that said, Hi, my name is Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, but not Harry, H-A-I-R-Y. Do you see that, girls? Yeah. And then there's another one that says, like, uh, it was all fun and games until the first wrinkle. Get out of here. Have you lost your mind? You're the people that are causing young people to go out and have all kinds of stuff done to their face and Botox themselves because they think they don't measure up. That's not healthy. That's not good. That's not good. And you can see it. It's all over town. So, I think it's Sephora. Is it Sephora? What is that? What is it? Help me, babe. What is it? What? Euphoria. Sorry, euphoria. Sephora sounded good. What's that? That's makeup, right? I'm talking about makeup. This is perfect. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, so there are some things that we don't do. There's some things that we do do. I mean, unwritten rules. So people ask, well, what about, um, what about leggings? I'm talking about living intentional and going a particular direction. Well, I don't like them. I've got a nuance. Some people, it's, it's not a, they do, some don't. And our position as an unwritten rule is, is a nuanced position. If you're doing something that is athletic in nature, working, you're, it's athletic in nature, riding a horse, uh, you probably need something there. I'm laughing because my wife and I went to the Philippines with a particular group that did not believe this. And that's okay because that's what they believe. And we went parasailing with them. <laughs> you know, they, you get in this thing and all of a sudden, up you go and you're... I put a towel over my face. I felt so bad. <laughs> the poor sister and her daughter, when they got down, she said, well, it's a good thing we're brothers and sisters, huh? I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's. <laughs> no, no, no. <clears throat> Praise God. Holy Ghost in our life is to be the illumination in our life. It should, it should be what creates the difference. Moses, when he came down off the mount, his face was illuminated. It shone. Stephen, when he was stoned, 
his face shone. And that was an Old Testament and a New Te Testament representation that in the New Testament church, the Holy Ghost is what should shine out in your life. It should be the ornament of grace. And so let it be illuminated. Amen. Don't disguise it. Put a facade on it. Mar it. Destroy it. Put the Holy Ghost in it and on it. Praise God. In conclusion here tonight, justification by faith becomes problematic in that it suggests an imputation of righteousness that makes a moral change. Martin Luther was the one that popularized justification by faith. Well, the problem with it, it suggests an imputation of righteousness that makes a moral change. And that's where it's not correct. Because no, that means no matter what I do, I'm righteous and there's no effort to change. And that's, that's not the biblical example. Work out your own salvation with fear and truth. There's things that you have to do. Justification is a status change based on what Jesus has done, but it doesn't establish the moral quality. It gives me the power, but I've got to create that in my life. I've got to be intentional about that in my life. That is a direction that I'm going in my life. And that comes to a walk with God. And that comes to a spirit-activated response to what God has done that is both separation and devotion to God. And that's the direction that we are going. And that's the direction that we are going as a church. I'm telling you this. This is very, very important. People that mess around with the direction that a church is going can sometimes destroy an entire church. We cannot destroy this church because this church is a light that is set on a hill in this city. And when there is strength and unity, there is revival. Praise God. There is revival. And that is what we need to pursue as we stand together in the house of God tonight. I want to make sure my direction is right. Amen. I want to make sure it is intentional. I want to put some things into action in my life. And I know this, God blesses you because there's devotion and he loves devotion. And there is separation and he loves separation because his word says, be ye holy for I am holy. Lord, I thank you and praise you in the house of God tonight. I give to you thanks and recognize that you provide to us some laws of what holy